If someone says we can't do something, then that's when we start doing it. These tough times, we've been through them. Your parents have been through them. Your grandparents, they come. How you survive depends so much upon yourself. Those are the moments you appreciate. Hello, and welcome to Elder Wisdom, stories from the Green Bench. I'm Erin Davis, and I'll soon be joined by 86-year-old Lloyd Hetherington, who is an educator, theologian, published writer, father, grandfather, and widower. But to me, he's a wonderful co-host. Now, Lloyd doesn't have a far commute to the bench. He resides near a real one. And this one, our podcast, is a virtual perch for us to be joined by fascinating people, of which Slagle Village's retirement and long-term care residences is just bursting. How lucky we are. Now, there's an old saying that if not for the weather, we'd have nothing to talk about. Here at Elder Wisdom, we know that's not true. But today, we're meeting a woman who loves not only to talk about the weather, but to explain it to those who want to know. And these days, with all the changes going on, that'd be pretty much all of us, right? Coraline Schmidt is a resident of the Villages at University Gates in Waterloo. She's a widow, mother of four, grandmother of 11, and she talks about the full circle of her life. How she's managed to combine her loves of geography and theology, basically this world and beyond, and she joins us on the Green Bench. All right, Lloyd, I can't help myself. Corleen, 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 Corleen. <laughs> How many of our guests get a musical intro? <laughs> well, I can assure you that for me, they, they would not get one at all. <laughs> I have improved my singing significantly. I used to be a monotone, and now I get two notes. But from my heart, there's a song when I sit with someone like Coraline because she has so much to share and I'm dying to hear it. Oh, I'm so excited about this conversation. Everybody talks about the weather, but we're going to be discussing it on a different kind of level. But you know, Lloyd, as we sit here on this metaphorical green bench, I kind of picture us sitting there like Forrest Gump with our box of chocolates and we're just waiting for Coraline to come sit with us. And you had such an interesting take on... Corleen's combination of meteorology and theology, and I think it just sets the table so perfectly, much better than my Dolly Parton ever could. So if you would lay that out for us, and we'll welcome Corleen. I just love that. I'd be glad to do it. In her study of theology, she's learning and teaching how to go to heaven. And in her study of meteorology, she's telling us how the heavens go. And so what a combination, (laughs) how to go to heaven, how the heavens go. Very, very good. (laughs) Isn't that good? Oh, my goodness. And you're both educators. Coraline, you were a school teacher or elementary school. Is that right? That's right. In Toronto. Okay. And you got your degree from Western in geography and then a teaching degree and a master's in theology. Wow. So when people talk about God's country, you actually know where that might be, thanks to your combination of geography and theology. Yeah, the master's degree is in theological studies. Okay. Okay, yeah. I'm not a um, reverend Corleen. I'm Pastor Corleen Schmidt. 
Very good. Mm-hmm. And did you have opportunities to share in ministry as well as teach? Yes. I worked five years for our uh, our home church, United Church in Hanover, as the assistant minister. What, what was your role there as the assistant minister? I did a lot of visiting, especially elderly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took uh, full worships, mostly in the summer. Well, especially in the summer, but also uh, one or two in the winter times. Very good. When you were visiting and ministering to the elderly, how much did that prepare you for your own older years? Or do you look back on it now, Corlene, and go, oh, now I know. Now I see what they were talking about. Or did it all kind of just make perfect sense to you then as well? Can you describe your ministering for the elderly? I don't think I really thought of it in those days. That's, you know, 40 years ago. But... um I could identify with them, even though I was younger than they were. And um, I'm sure I'm not conscious of it, but it probably did prepare me for talking to people in our age group here. As you're doing today. And I love that you were ministering in Hanover because that's kind of where you were raised as well, is it not? That's right. That's right. In our home church there. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. I grew up in Ellumwood. Okay. That's just uh, five miles north of Hanover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hanover was our nearest uh, town with uh, bigger stores and more, higher education. But I went to public school in a one-room school in Elmwood, and we didn't we didn't learn a great deal, but we learned how to play with each other, and uh, it 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 was a great experience in a lot of ways even though we didn't think that uh, we were, we thought we were a little bit uh, challenged and, and behind because there were eight grades all in one room. And so the teacher didn't have very much time for us. So at the end of grade seven, there were only two of us in the class. And my, my girlfriend and I, uh, we uh, went to the, the, the principal came to the school and he said, well, these two, these two girls, we should just put them on, just say they've, they've, uh, they, they've passed. Mm-hmm. I had, we hadn't had no, any grade eight. Oh. But anyway, we, we thought it was all right. <laughs> we thought we didn't find any fault with it. <laughs> so that's what they did. They just pushed it on. Well, then we got into high school and we found that there were quite a few things in the, uh, science class that we'd missed out on that grade seven course. Oops. Anyway, we we managed to get our education anyway and carried right on with it through our lives. When you talk about the one-room schoolhouse, and that's interesting because uh, in the podcast prior to this one, we spoke with Ross Morton, and he wrote all about his schooling and his education also in a one-room classroom. Mm-hmm. Was there anything positive that came out of that? I mean, obviously, there were spots that were missed along the way, and you certainly went on to make up for that and then some. Yes. But, but what were the positives of it, Corlene? Yes, well, we'd listen to the what was going on with it for the next course, the next class beside us. Hmm. You know, there were only two or three in each class, and we'd listen as we go, and some sometimes we listened and sometimes we didn't. You know how that can go with kids. But... Um, you know, we did, we didn't know any anything else except that the p- teacher had to go and uh, look after 
be other people than our group. And so we uh, just managed through it. But you learned far, far more than you'll ever realize. You may not have taken in all of the academic steps that, that were prescribed, but you learned how to study, you learned how to work with others, you learned how to be aware and care for the people around you. Your, your education was fantastic and laid a good foundation for you in, in high school and then on into university and postgraduate work. So you're, you got a good, solid education. I appreciate you saying that because um, I don't think I was aware of it, but it, it did exactly that. And we learned how to concentrate while the t teacher was teaching, a, you know, uh, loudly and clearly to the, the class that was taking her course. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we all managed, and I don't know what the rest of them did, did because um, my mother and dad divorced the year I was in uh, grade 8. And uh, my aunt and uncle had me come and live with them in Brantford, and they adopted me. And so I was had a complete change, uh, not only of uh, geographic change, but in a lot of other ways, too. My uncle and aunt were very, very kind, and he, he was a medical doctor in Brantford, and she was a former teacher. And so all through high school, she could tell that I had not had a very thorough education in uh, public school. And so every night she would sit upstairs with me at the desk and we'd go over the lessons I had for the day from the Brantford Collegiate Institute. Anyway, uh, that's another reason I learned how to read and uh, absorb. Talk about the road not taken. When you talked about your parents getting a divorce when you were in the eighth grade, which was something that was certainly not done with the same frequency that it is now. Yeah. And here you were taken from Hanover and brought to Brantford and given a whole different sort of set of parenting from this aunt and uncle who uh, adopted you. It's really quite amazing. It is. Undoubtedly, you've looked back, Corleen, and thought, you know, if not for this, my the path of my life would have been completely different. Exactly right. And uh, I, I just took it in stride. They came for the weekend, my aunt and uncle, to uh, Elmwood. And the parents kept talking and talking at the table. And my girlfriend and I were playing outside. Anyway, they brought me in about uh, almost supper time. And they said, how would you like to come and live with us? Oh, I thought, gee, that, that sounds pretty good. So I said, sure. So they said, well, get your things together. And off we went. Wow. Before you change your mind. I I think I was always open to uh, opportunities. And uh, it could not have been better in every way. Well, you know, Lloyd, maybe Corleen being so open to change and whatever is on the horizon has been the perfect harbinger to her love for meteorology mm -hmm. and for the weather. Yes. And you see, that started early in my life because uh, they had the farm right close to the village. And so uh, we'd go out in the morning, and all we had to do would be back for dinner at night. So uh, we we had a um, great affection for the forest and uh, everything in it. And we had no fear. In those days, we could stay out and have fun and go anywhere we chose. And so um, 
it it's quite a, an eye opener to be able to look at the uh, vegetation and look at the ground and uh, just uh, absorb what's going on the snakes and the toads and the the fish that uh, we we became certainly familiar with in the in the forest now it wasn't a very huge forest it was my grandfather's farm and it wasn't uh, very far away but off we'd go for the day can you imagine that now lloyd i think i think of my grandchildren growing up and it would never happen although when i was a kid i shared many of these same experiences because where i lived there was a swamp next door and again we disappeared after breakfast with the understanding we'd be back for lunch and there was the creek and the toads and the snakes and uh, all, all, just uh, uh, everything yes, yes. Uh, nature all of and, that and that became yes. your textbook <laughs> you you not only looked but you were curious what's this all about and yes you began to find out and the natural education is just fantastic i get so excited when i hear hear about this thank you and, my daughter makes an attempt to raise her two boys that way. They're right in the heart of Toronto, so it's very difficult. But they're not very far away from the Don Valley with all its uh, paths and the streams and so on. They they get down there fairly frequently. Very good. And she encourages to try to stretch. And her question always is, uh, do you think you can do it? And if they say yes, she'll say, go ahead. Mm -hmm. And she'll just let them. None of this bubble wrap stuff for them. <laughs> now, Corlene, can you recall what your mother used to tell you? <laughs> She'd always say, use your head. Oh, I like that. Yes. There's a piece in Parents Canada, Lloyd, that says to raise resilient kids, parents need to stop bubble wrapping them mm -hmm. because this overprotection, creating too safe upbringings, means that kids won't be prepared to take risks when they grow up. Mm -hmm. So it's part of parenting to allow your children not only to fall and get a little bit bruised or, you know. And, and we did. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And finding out which leaves you perhaps need to avoid. <laughs> and yes, all of that. <laughs> all, yeah. all of the yes. above, as we say. Exactly. And falling and failing as a child can somehow, they say, prepare us or steal us a little bit better for failing or falling as adults. Exactly. I believe it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Scrapes my, I thought my knees would never survive. <laughs> uh, I had a new bicycle and I wasn't very good at it. And of course, we had to go down across the tracks be between our, where we lived on the farm and the school. All, all kinds of times I fell on those tracks. Mm. I got so many scrapes, etc. And now parents would be apoplectic at the thought of children even near a railroad track. <laughs> yeah. There is a middle place, though, isn't there? I I'm not meaning to ridicule parents, mm -hmm. especially as a grandparent myself of two, you know, as Lloyd, your grandparent, and so are you, Corlene, <laughs> where we <laughs> never want anything bad to happen to these precious children. But where's the middle ground? What do you think, Corlene? Oh, yes. We were so free. And and we learned that um, when the train, there was only one track. And so we knew when the train was coming along twice a day. When it was coming, we'd always get into the uh, the ditches. And the, uh, the trainmen, 
they didn't really want us to to play right there,、mm-hmm. and so they'd send the steam in our direction. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd be far enough away, but it said to us, "Don't get too close," you know. Yeah, because that would be terribly traumatic for them too to have to encounter a child on the tracks like that. Something you'd never get over. Right. That's right. <laughs> wow. Well, let's switch tracks a little bit here and talk about the weather. So, tell us, Corleen, what fascinates you about the weather? I mean, we all are watching our apps or the Weather Channel or whatever happens to be on, but your interest seems to go kind of above and beyond changes. I love it because it's constant changes. You never know what's going to happen because there's so much going on up there with, with the winds from the west and. Uh, meeting the winds, what in winds from the east, is such a turmoil that、uh, I always say our weathermen do a fantastic job,、uh, giving us such a good picture of what's expected for the day, and、um, they go into detail that a lot of us just sort of、uh, gloss over, as long as we know what、uh, it's going to be sunny, and we don't need to take your rain gear <laughs> with you. And this part of your geography degree was studying weather patterns. So obviously, you know now that things are getting really different. I saw a story a couple months back about NASA saying that the moon is wobbling on its axis a little bit, and so now it's going to mean increasing floods and all of these things. That you know, it used to be the weather forecaster was the person who was kind of the comic relief in the newscast, but、yeah. now you know you've got your degree in meteorology, <laughs> you're a scientist, and people are really relying on what you know. Oh yes. So tell Lloyd and me how your degree in geography has fed your knowledge about meteorology and the weather and your curiosity. I think it、uh, it integrated together, sort of、um, automatically. We traveled the world, and so we were always interested in what weather was happening wherever we were visiting.、Mm-hmm. We did visit fifty different countries, so we've、uh, we've been around. And、uh, just for example, when we were in Australia, we were happy to be there th- three weeks at least. And、um, we certainly went out and cased the trees and the、uh, the grounds, etc. And the one thing that we found was that they have exactly the same trees that we do. Lots of maple trees, beautiful big maple trees, just like we do.、Hmm. And then we happened to be there in the fall, and there were the the leaves, but unlike ours in the autumn, with all the gorgeous colors, theirs were. St- Just plain brown,、mm-hmm. no color.、Uh-huh. So we got a shock with that. <laughs> Australia certainly was fascinating, but you probably visited other countries in the southern hemisphere as well. Do you have any other country or countries that re- resonate with you now that you'd like to share with us? Well, you know, sometimes when I say yes, we have been around the world. People will say to me, "Have you been to Antarctica?"、Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I say, no. <laughs> Almost around the southern, in the middle, what I call it, around the world,、right. easy access. And you know, this is in the nineteen sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, when it was easy travel.、Right. All you did was buy your ticket and get on the plane, and off you go.、Yeah. There was no question about being safe. 
and uh, we we got into lots of places that it was just a little iffy, uh-huh. and we managed with the help of friends and the people we lived with or were with uh, there, right. that uh, nothing untoward happened. Right. Did you buy what was called a one-world ticket that allowed you to circle the globe as long as you traveled always in the same direction? You could stop wherever you wanted as often as you wanted, and it the ticket was good for a year. No. That's amazing, Lloyd. Yeah. That's lovely. It's a wonderful way to go. Yeah, let's do it. What do you say, Coraline? Yes, that's <laughs> a wonderful way to go. Yeah, my wife and I did it in the year 2000, and we literally circled the globe. We traveled from Toronto to Vancouver to Hawaii, Auckland and New Zealand, to Australia, several places, then several places in Africa, and then back to England, and then home. Wow. Any in China? Japan? Uh, no, I, I haven't done China, Japan. I've not done South America. I've concentrated more or less in the sort of the middle belt. A little easier access. Were you in Egypt? Have you been to the Holy Land? No, I missed the Holy Land and Egypt both. I see. I did a lot of travel in Africa itself, though. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. It was in Tanzania, Zambia, South Africa, Botswana. Oh, very good. Kenya. Yes, I have too. My, uh, my, pa- my adopted parents went to Africa and on a furlough and stayed for a year or two there in uh, Zambia. And so we were always um, interested in everything that was going on in that area. And Lloyd and I didn't, never did get right into Zambia, in, even though it seemed as though we were there. I was in the southern province of Zambia for 11 years. And... Oh, I see. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, uh, my uncle took um, a furlough there and uh, stayed while uh, the, the doctor was there. And so he took the doctor's place because the doctor was five years overdue his furlough. Right. So anyway, that's the kind of people they were. Right, right. I think it's tremendously sad for people who do not have the opportunity, whether it's financial or even the curiosity to travel. Mm-hmm. Because here you are, you both are talking about places most folks couldn't find on a map or dream of. I can tell you, I've been to Egypt. You haven't missed anything. Everything's old. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's, it, it was spectacular, and I so want to go back. But, of course, it all depends on the world, you know, the, the political climate as much as anything. But doesn't travel broaden your horizons? And you're not just that, but your understanding of your fellow human in so many yes, ways. Yes, In Hanover, my husband and... Um, his friend, they went to that high school together, and Barry went on to be a minister. And uh, he and Alice, this partner, they uh, graduated as missionaries in the uh, Lutheran Church. Mm-hmm. And so it's these, they're everywhere they went to serve, two or three years, we would get to go and live with them. And so we had great times in Africa and um, Bali, and um, Germany, mm-hmm. and um, Guyana. It's such a marvelous experience, isn't it? When you get into a country and get past the little tourist traps yes. and get to see what life is really like there, what an eye-opener it is. You see the real Africa once you get onto a mission station, for instance. Oh, yes. 
And uh, I'm, I want to tell you about one thing in Africa. Barry would go and, and um, make rounds to the people in the area. And uh, we'd get in the car, air-conditioned uh, van, hmm. and off we'd go for the day. And so um, every once in a while along the road, they usually paved, not very wide, uh, we'd be watching out the window. So all at once, uh, some people would be on the road up, up ahead of us, and Alice would roll down the window and stick her head out, and she'd say, as we passed them, What news? What news? Oh. And they'd tell her who was sick, or they all knew Barry, you know, pasta. They'd call him a pasta. And uh, they'd, they'd tell Barry who needed communion, and uh, where they lived, if he didn't know. Anyway, go on a little farther, and we'd meet some more. And there she was, calling out, "What news? What news?" <laughs> that's all. <laughs> that's all she had to say. <laughs> uh-huh. right. Oh, I can picture that scene. It's a very familiar one to me as well, where you travel along that narrow strip of pavement, and people do not realize that. The main highways in many African countries yes. were, were made up of a single strip of pavement. Or no pavement at all. No, no pavement most of the time. Mm-hmm. But if they were paved, it was a single strip. And mm-hmm. when you had oncoming tra- traffic, you just hit, hit the shoulders and got around each other and carried yeah. on. Yes, or the or the uh, donkeys or whatever's oh, yes. on the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And one time... We were invited, because of being Beth, Alice, and Barry, for dinner in the uh, jungle. So we went, and they'd made a big clearing, and they had chair for us to sit. Uh, mm. They served us dinner, and they were so pleased to have pasta there and Mrs. Lang. Oh, my, you know, it was a red-letter day for them. Well, it was a red-letter day for us, too. And they uh, gave us each a bowl. And a big spoon. And then they brought out the, the chicken and rice. And so all um, these little eyes were peering at us because we were, you know, center of attraction. <laughs> these queer people with the white skin. Mm-hmm. And and um, they, they couldn't eat until after we had eaten. And so... It made us doubly conscious of the fact that we weren't very hungry that day. Hmm. And we uh, we certainly ate dinner, but we saved a good big portion, hoping that it would um, go around them and, and they'd get fed too. Right. What a beautiful story. And really a perfect note on which to wrap this up because uh-huh. this has been a veritable feast being <laughs> able to share this time with you, Corleen. And to take you from that girl with the scraped knees and falling on her bike and, and going through that laneway in the farmer's path and field and quote-unquote forest in the back to the jungles of Africa and being able to sit and enjoy a modest yes. but so appreciated feast with people. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful life. Just thank you for sharing this with us. Well, do you know what I say about it? What? God is good. God leads us every day. Our theological training certainly uh, makes me overly conscious of every every day oh, as another man. opportunity to serve. Corleen, you the attitude of gratitude. And when you go through life with that thankful heart, you can see a world that's beautiful and lovely 
in spite of all the chaos around us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you to my co-host Lloyd Hetherington and our guest Coraline Schmidt for reminding us always that the present is, quite literally, a gift. Join us next time when we talk with Sherry Necker. She's one of the younger residents, and she's going to share with us some inspiration and a stroke of luck. Don't miss an episode. Go to elderwisdom.ca and you'll be notified just as soon as there's a new one here on the Green Bench using hashtag elderwisdom. And while you're there, be sure and sign the Elder Wisdom Pledge, won't you? Thanks for that and for sharing time with us here. I'm Erin Davis, and on behalf of my co-host Lloyd, your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living, to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.